Welcome to Swisspreneur, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan and I will be your host. We're back in San Francisco and we'll meet with Marcus Ockemus for a second time. Today, we're gonna to talk about hiring and managing people. He has a lot of experience. At a certain point, he had to let go of a whole division, basically 100 employees that he had to fire in one day. We will of course talk about that, but also about the more fun aspects about how he actually met his wife during a job interview. And also in general, what mistakes that he sees startup founders make repeatedly when it comes to hiring and managing people. He really has a lot of great experiences and stories to tell, and we really enjoyed the talk to him. And I'm sure that there are plenty of learnings that you can take away for your business. As always, there is additional content available on our social media channels, so make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Marcus, welcome back to the second episode of Swisspreneur. It's a pleasure to have you again. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about hiring and managing people. And my first question is, what mistakes do you see Swiss startups making repeatedly when it comes to managing and hiring people? A challenge for, for a startup is always how you bring super experienced people on board if you're still small mm-hmm. or you don't have money or, um, uh, you know, it, it's just challenging time. and what for us when we invest in in companies is super important is like when you listen to the founder of that company and you listen to his story and what he's doing and then it's like wow i mean i would love to join this company um this is a very strong indicator you know it has to be a very charismatic leader who really drives and is driven by this by this mission i think this is a super relevant thing rather than say like Oh, you know, I saw in your CV you studied left or right. Um, sure. So, you know, the, the founder, a very good founder or leader is a magnet. So you want to spend time next to that person. So I think I think you have a question. But what actually triggers this, yeah. this, this feedback or this emotion that you feel, mm-hmm. I think, appeal to this person that you want to work with them? Is it their vision? Is it the way that they communicate or more a mix of all of that in a, in a, yeah, in a certain way? I think it's a mix, you know, it's really about, uh, and I, I'm still question mark if this is learnable or not. Um, I think it's, um, you know, in sports, for example, you know, you have like team leaders who are just naturally born team leaders um, who are just driving this team to a level or a coach who's driving. To, I think in soccer, you can see it very well, for example, coaches, you know, like how they, how you want to be in that team and how you want to squeeze the maximum out of you to just you know be part of of that incredible story and i think um this is really shifting from like hiring skills towards like you know values at the end of the day if you have if if we have a good link with each other then you know we say like hey i would love to work with you obviously you have to bring certain skills but Mm -hmm. we decide to go that road nobody knows how this road looks like especially in a startup nobody has any idea you can do like three-year plans whatever p and l's but in reality nobody knows what's happening in two months so 
if if you don't have this bonding at the beginning with a potential employee where where you really feel comfortable and it resonates mm-hmm. um i think it's not a good sign yeah without talking about you know obviously you need to have certain skills and experience and so on but sure. i think this is super important yeah. and do you think that this is something that swiss startups don't get right all the time or most of the time? Again, I, I, I don't know, uh, to, to be frank. Um, I think what happens is in a startup, you hire in your network, which mm-hmm. is supernatural and say, oh, I can trust this person or it's a friend of a friend sure. and so on, which, which is great, I think, to start a company with. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we talk about it later. While you're scaling up, you're going to need different people um, for different stages. So at the beginning, everybody has to do everything, you know, so you're together right. in a boat, everybody has to, you know, survive in that boat and you, everybody has to do each single job. And I think you need this mindset from the beginning in and say, hey, we, we decided this story, we do it together, no matter what it takes. Mm-hmm. We want to go there and, and then you, you just go. Absolutely. I think what's really impressive is that in all your projects, you work together with Jan, your co-founder. Yes. How can you make that happen or what makes you such a strong and successful team? I mean, the question is how he makes that happen. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's harder for him than for me. No, um, kidding. Um, You know, I think with Jan, um, this this is is really true friendship we we have um, also on on a private level. Um, We uh, really know where our strengths from each other obviously during that time um, all this period of time where we had like many many moments which were super challenging mm-hmm. um, but we all the time understood each other we understand what is important for for which person um, and we support each other in that and I think uh, there is no single doubt that we are not always making it sooner or later or left or right whatever we do so mm-hmm. And we, we just we just have from the skill set um, we just complete each other tremendously well. So Jan is more in analytics and operations and rational and mm-hmm. numbers and uh, um, that topics. Also much more the inventor when it comes to to products. Um, right. So science and research and all these topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm much more on the consumer front. You know, like everything. What is how to market the product and how to uh, design the bottle and how to access customers and uh, seeing what is going on in the market and uh, um, and this combination is is tremendously valuable because we look to a company for example or a product mm-hmm. and we have a th- pretty much a 360 view about it and say oh, I saw it completely different from that angle and he looks from the other an- angle and in within no time we have like a good overview about the business compared to probably when two developer would look to a product, mm-hmm. they would have like, oh, you know, I see this and that, but miss maybe some other aspects. Sure. Um, and then uh, just uh, as a person, what is for me also um, incredible that during all the time, we all the time share the same values and, and triggers. Um, so, uh, and, and businesses. So, so it's not only my, my back was triggering that story. So Jan has his personal experience um, when it comes to um, health prevention. Um, and it, it's clear for us that this is our topic. So it's not like artificially doing research and mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity it's just happening. And I think, um, yeah, this, this, this is amazing. And uh, we both uh, 
complete each other very well. I think a, a quote of Howard Marks, he was a guest on the Tim Ferriss podcast a while ago, mm -hmm. and he said, a good team has shared values, but complementary skill sets. And I think that's a perfect description yeah. for the two of yeah. you. I agree. Yeah. Have you actually specifically talked about your values or have you written them down somewhere or how did you, you know, share these and make, made sure that they were really aligned? Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we, we talk to them, uh, we talk about them a lot. Um, so, and we define them obviously for our company. So for example, for, for fashion days, um, we had uh, three values, honest, reliable and happy. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to make it um, very simple, easy to understand um, for, for every employee. And uh, there we really defined these values and they were everywhere in the company. They were in each email footer. Um, when we had like issues with, with a topic or we had to let uh, somebody let go, then we explained all the employees, hey, you know, because of this value, this person was not compliant with, with what we believe. Um, and people really were really starting to be very proud about these this values, mm -hmm. to lift that value, you mm -hmm. know, especially honesty in those markets, in emerging markets. You know, from day one, we said, like, there is no single supplier, no one ever. Yeah, we just pay one dollar um, uh, just to bribe them. And yeah. this was sometimes took longer to get uh, some things. But this mm -hmm. was a very consistent value we had and we just lift that and Everybody who was against that was, was out of the company um, and people really started, especially in those markets, started to really appreciate that. And this is, these are things we, uh, yeah, we align all the time and for, we adapted for our new, new um, uh, business now and they're very similar. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think one important, very important factor is, is, uh, is as well that we have um, very low egos. So um, nobody has the feeling like, oh, now I have to be there or have to be there. So we really have low egos, which is simplifying a lot, a lot of things. I can imagine. Yeah. How have your values changed over, over the time? Maybe from students.ch over fashion days to Canopy nowadays, mm -hmm. or was there no change at all? I mean, there was a big change, I would say. Um, I would say like students was just an opportunistically operating during university, building up something, mm -hmm. not a big plan, just did um, and felt where to go. Um, then Fashion Days was much more a rational decision, opportunity, copycat in Central Eastern Europe mm -hmm. um, with the intent to sell it um, pretty, pretty from the beginning because we realized we can do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then now it's very much in uh, in the personal belief and, uh, you know, really giving back to people and really empowering people, um, which is a super important value for us right now, uh, rather than just to build a business and I don't care of employees, I don't care of anything. Obviously, the business has to work and, you know, um, has to be successful based on economics. Um, sure. But uh, we... Yeah, we respect everybody who is doing something and uh, we uh, try to to be uh, very supportive and uh, appreciate whatever somebody is doing. So it, it has shifted from, you know, very aggressive, maybe younger uh, <laughs> exit driven um, view for fashion days um, 
to a more, much more purpose driven mm -hmm. thing, which we also want to do not only for like five years. So what yeah. we do right now, we have a 20, 30 years plan. So this is uh, what, what we have in mind rather than just doing short term something which is not so interesting to us anymore. Great. What is also pretty interesting or hot topic at the moment is diversity, mm -hmm. um, especially also for founding teams. Mm -hmm. When looking back at your co-founders at students.ch, you were four male co-founders. Mm -hmm. I know this is always a, a very also controversial topic, mm -hmm. but there are studies that clearly say um, diversified teams have a better performance. Doesn't matter if it's just male or just female, mm -hmm. but diversified teams have a, a higher success rate, sort of. In, in what way does diversity play a role when you invest in companies nowadays, but also looking back when you started your companies? You know, when, when, when we look back how we started companies, it was just naturally happened. I think there was not a rational decision any time. Mm -hmm. um, for fashion days, I would say we had 60% women in the company. So um, in those markets, uh, there is so super talented uh, woman uh, who, who run business and, and drive, drive business. Uh, really unbelievable people who, you know, grow from non-managing one person to manage 100, 100 people in two years, doing incredible good job. So um, th there was diversity definitely relevant without being so aware of it uh, as it is uh, today out in the world. And then um, obviously here in the, in the Bay Area, which is probably one of the most liberal um, cities in the world, um, people are much more aware of it. Um, I think in my point of view, uh, an organization has to grow organically or naturally. You know, what I mentioned earlier with this leadership thing, um, I think the bigger diversity you have, the more perspectives you have, um, which is definitely missing when you have like a tech development team. When it comes to, I don't know, a consumer product, they don't have the sense and the feeling of like what it takes to bring this to market. As for example, a woman has a much better understanding. I mean, depends on the product, but like what it takes and how is this emotional purchase um, um, driven. So. Uh, interestingly enough, with, with Fashion Days, it was, you know, we had 70% female customers. So it was all the time, we tried to all the time um, getting different opinions. And uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to investing in companies, it is a factor, but it's not like a killer factor, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, a lot of them are already are quite diverse when it comes to culture and gender and um, which, which I think it's, it's amazing. And especially when you, you walk down the street here in San Francisco, you have a diversity, which is, which is unbelievable, mm -hmm. which is, which is amazing. And I, I think that's also something where Switzerland is a couple of years behind the, the Silicon Valley, for example. Uh, probably I think Switzerland is already quite international too, but not on a, on a certain level. You know, here you have also diversity on, on, on different levels happening. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many different people in, 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 um, in this area together. We, for example, we had a dinner or a party at our home um, two weeks ago with about uh, 
we, we calculated we had like 20 different nations on, on like 60 70 people um what was incredible so mm-hmm. it's just a melting pot much more in general obvious us obviously than sure. than europe or switzerland um yeah. but yeah it's uh when you actually hire people how does the job of actually hiring them evolve from an early stage company to a much more established later stage company? Because you had experience in both areas of that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when, when you see a company grow and, and in e-commerce, what we did is like, you can pretty much look to revenues. So like 10 revenues, uh, 10 million revenues and 30 million revenues and then 80 million or 100 million revenues requires completely different people um, or completely different, it's a little bit extreme. But what, what you see is that you all the time think a company grows organically. Mm-hmm. So you just grow and grow. But in reality, what is really happening is that you jump to next. If you want to go to a next double your revenues or triple your revenues, you, you basically jump to the next level rather than growing to the next level um, when it comes to people. Mm-hmm. So what we realized, like, you know, we, we were fortunate. We had uh, a management team quite from the beginning who was able to grow uh, together with us. We all could learn from each other at, uh, at Fashion Ace um, to 100, $150 million revenue company or euros. Um, but Oftentimes you realize some people, they, they're not able to grow or they to evolve anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you just have to replace them. And which, you know, is, is painful because, yeah. you know, you were in the boat together for maybe like two years, um, sure. three years. I say, hey, listen, now we are switching the boat and we, we, not, we need just like more people and we cannot just every day talk to each other anymore. Um, so we have now... 100 people on the boat, um, which requires totally different communication processes and so on, which which is super relevant. So I think um, what we did is, uh, you know, trying to find people with experience who have done this before. I think this is super relevant that you have somebody who has, you know, if you want to grow from 30 to 100 million, then you have somebody who has run a 100 million call, uh, revenue company before. Um, because he knows or she knows what it takes. Because if you're, it's for everybody greenfield and new, super hard. So I think again, it's rather, uh, it's it's more about finding a person who has done that with the right values and, you know, aligned with what you're doing Mm -hmm. rather than skills you're hiring. You know, that you say, I don't care. I just now need a person who has done this before and, Oftentimes, you get rid of hell, uh, values when you see the skills. Because right. in that moment, you're desperate. Sure. So you want to grow or you have to grow. Um, and when you hire out of being desperate, it's it's never a good thing. So recruiting, and this is what we did at Fashion Days, we had a certain moment, We had, I think I had like per week 10 interviews permanently. Mm-hmm. So we started to continuously interviewing people that you really understand what is out in the market, right. who is good, how good is your own team, um, you know, what you find on the market, you know. So continuous 
interviewing people is a super relevant job, uh, which a CEO should all the time dedicate time to, because this will really drive his company to the next level. That's something you should be doing all year long, basically. All year long. In my point of view, publish job ads and continuously scan, scan candidates. How much percentage of your time did you allocate to this task of hiring people and taking interviews? I mean, at that time, I say, uh, think like uh, one to two hours uh, a day, I would say. Well, yeah. you know, so, or, uh, yeah. I mean, we ha I had several interviews a week, let's say it like this. Sure. So, um, which was super important for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and also for Jan and uh, everybody in the management that we just continuously scan, scan people. Absolutely. I think it's Ben Horowitz who wrote in his book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, is that whenever you triple in the size of your employees, mm -hmm. sort of your whole organization structure needs to be rebuilt because it sort of starts to break down. So from three co-founders, for example, to a team of 10, and then from 10 to 30 and from 30 to about 100, mm -hmm. you face big, big challenges when it comes to communication, to how you make decisions, how you organize your company. Can you walk us a bit through that process, how he dealt with that, with fashion days, for example? I mean, it, this was all the time a challenge, obviously. Um, we grew so fast on, on different locations in all these different cultures, um, mm -hmm. which sometimes didn't like each other so much. So um, it was uh, good to be, uh, be Swiss uh, sometimes, <laughs> to be neutral. Um, it, it, this was a challenge. Um, so, you know, it's... I think communication is always a challenge in, in every organization. And um, for us, what was super hard, you know, from moving out from this, hey, Silvan, can you quickly do that? Or, hey, by the way, I met this guy, it's fine, Tuesday's fine kind of communication yeah. to uh, Slack or whatever you have today. Uh, mm -hmm. We had an internet at that time, you know, and process whatever you standardize and take out a lot of informal layers in the communication and this switch is super super difficult especially when you're in a hyper growth phase takes so, a lot of time I takes a lot of time and you know like when you go to the process uh, uh, you know then what happened is at that time a lot of people started to write a lot of emails you know long emails and send emails back and forth with yeah. 50 people in copy um which is highly inefficient communication, thanks to Slack, uh, this is, uh, has, has been improved. But um, this is super challenging. And um, I don't know if there is a clear answer to that. I think it's, it's, it's this, this group dynamic and um, this, what we all the time try to is really through this value and this, this leadership, you know, driving this through sales. Sales was for us a very strong uh, motivator as well. We had screens everywhere, um, uh, you know, um, and could see like today's sales. And it was like a, we had like a, a how we call it info screen. So everybody had it on the mobile, and you could quickly real time check in what are your daily sales numbers. Yeah. So these are like soft tools basically, which mm -hmm. were aligning the organization. However, in the Daily operation challenges was was really hard hard to to manage and, and to basically all the time lag behind of the organization. Mm -hmm. You know, if you build something, you already would new know you know a new tool for the next the next step and how right. to optimize now that and now we have to ship more 
20,000 orders a day. So how we ship from like 5,000, how we do this gap uh, switch mm -hmm. now. So I think it's, it's a continuously um, shifting. And what we all the time try to do is like, we had all the time, like I think quarter goals, um, which were simple to understand. So we said like, okay, this quarter we focus on um, returns, reducing returns, improving um, this and improving that that everybody could understand what was the main goal mm. instead of like, you have 50 KPIs yes. and we should improve each KPI, but you know, what do you focus on? So we really had project names, you know, gave them emotional names and started to boost it out to all, all employees with internal newsletters, with, um, we had uh, company events once a year, we brought all the employees together talking about that. Um, and then when we were in locations, we really talked a lot directly to and and um, uh, um, to to employees, which is I was all the time in the warehouse. I was all the time. It's really on, uh, important to really feel the, the the base, which is hard when the more people you are. Absolutely. And to see where you know what communication do they really get mm -hmm. from when you start communicating it. <laughs> um, you know, it it end up that they probably get like 10, 10 20 percent of what what was the idea of what you wanted. To sure. Communicate. You said nowadays you would probably use Slack, um, but from my personal experience, I also think that Slack sort of brings back this informal, real-time communication. So it might save a lot of emails, but it still a, can be a huge distraction if, if used wrongly. Was there some best practices or some, let's say, actions that you took that worked very well for you that you would sort of be able to share as as good learning in a, in a positive way that actually made your communication easier or your organization easier? Best is face-to-face. -face. So this is, you cannot replace the power of having people in a room and discuss about something. Um, but with 800 employees, that's a bit tricky. It's hard. So then it goes down, obviously, like, you know, video calls, calls. Um, I think phone is always better mm -hmm. than uh, texting. Yeah. Um, you know, Slack, I'm, it's, I think it's an improvement towards uh, emails, mm -hmm. but it's certain it cannot be the only communication tool. I think people don't call enough. People don't talk to each other enough by phone, face to face. This is super important mm -hmm. because there is a lot of other communication going on than just a rational, rational fact. Like, how are you doing today and how you feel? How was your weekend? which you do in a call, in an email or in a Slack message, you don't talk about that. So, um, and this is super important for team building and, uh, you know, being together on, on that boat. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you reduce that layer and only have rational facts, it's, it's very difficult to uh, really bond as, as yeah. a team through distance. Sure. Talking about layers, how many different people or, or not people probably management levels did you set up at your 800 employee company? How did you organize your management team and what did the organization structure look like overall? Um, I think we had probably two, three, three layers, okay. I think. That's not that many for 800 no, people. I, but I'm maybe for, I, I, I can't 100% remember. Um, and then we had the matrix organization, which was 
challenging, obviously, mm-hmm. um, because we had like all these local decentralized organizations. We had a centralized organization. Um, so we we tried to deal with that. But I would say it's uh, it was all the time. It was all the time a challenge um, to really live it. And then when you change something that people understood, now I have to report for this topic in a metrics. I have to talk to this manager. Now I have to about this topic to this manager. Um, and again, we, we all the time tried to bring um, these managers then of the company together. We tried to do education for them. So, yeah, it's something we grew naturally we felt right at that given moment and when we felt it's not right we, we just adapted it and, and changed it and mm-hmm. i think this is while you're doing something it doesn't mean if it doesn't work and if it's not efficient you should just immediately drop it compared to just oh, we decide now and we have to stick to it for one year right. so just adapt it when when you feel like yeah. so there is no magic bullet or I, at least I haven't found it. Okay. I haven't found it yet. If you <laughs> found, uh, if you find it, uh, let me know. But um, I, I think I think it's now because like each organization is at the end of the day uh, is, is different and has mm-hmm. different dynamics and uh, yeah. hard to hard to, uh, to hard to copy. So uh, in in general, maybe for organizations, what we really believe in is is kind of a cell system um, okay. rather than. Um, you know, top-down approach, I mm-hmm. think, uh, or what do we see now with companies we're investing in? They're all different cells. And I think in a cell, you have a super efficient way to collaborate rather than uh, you you grow over 20, 30 people. So um, I think the cell system where you have like one person who leads that cell, who mm-hmm. basically manages everything in that cell, um, or the team members in Excel manage everything. It's super high efficient because I still have this communication save on, right. you know, what what should we eat for lunch, for example. Yeah. So one of us is just grabbing lunch. But if you have an organization with 800 people and you have to organize lunch, it starts to be a huge project, you know. Yeah. Um, and you can see this in, in the Army, U.S. Army, you know, like it's a huge logistic thing. Whereas, you know, you, um, there are some troops which are just in, organized in cells and you just buy something around the corner. Mm-hmm. So I think these are, these are organi- this is an organization structure which I tend to believe that this is a very much more efficient way. Than, okay. But obviously, if you are a huge company with 100,000 employees, it's uh, probably no other way to yeah. just do it in a high character. Uh, How would you then split up these cells? Do you do that... Topic-wise, or do you have, uh, I don't know, like sales team, a marketing cell? How, how do you split up the cells to uh, make uh, them work efficiently? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, like when it comes to um, markets, obviously, I think a market has to be quite independent. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you are operating different markets, you should really have maybe like a R&D centralized, you know, with um, product development and everything. Yeah. But the market, how they market, how they communicate it, how they price it, how they approach it should be very independent because they know best what is working in a market or what not. Mm-hmm. And also with fashion, as you all the time had this in marketing, for example, is what do we centralized? Right. How much localized? You know, how you ensure your brand awareness in all these markets or you know brand positioning, mm-hmm. whether like they said, hey, in this market this is working and this is not working. So I, I tend to believe that um, you know, really independent, relatively independent cells in a market is highly efficient. Whether when you have 
need to have a peer agency who serves all the market. You maybe have in this market not a good peer agency, maybe in this one a good one. Whether like the local cell just can choose the best peer agency in that market. So I think this is super relevant that, that this independency of the of the, of the cell. Mm -hmm. It can be a backbone in the back, you know, like administration and uh, payroll and sure. whatever accounting and and product development. But I think the more independence you give on the front, uh, the more efficient and, and better your your mm -hmm. setup. And then how do your companies that you invest in manage the overall collaboration of these cells? Who is responsible for that and how do they do that? I mean, for us, it's like, you know, um, we invest in these companies and um, we are working right now on ways of how we can basically align these cells with each other. Mm -hmm. Not align because they're independent companies, but we will obviously want to bring head marketings together and like the CEOs together that they can learn from each other. Um, uh, we organize uh, two events now, one here in, in the Bay Area, one, one in, in Zurich as well, um, for just industry people, um, bringing them together, bringing entrepreneurs in, bringing head of innovations in from insurance companies and so on. Right. Just that this interaction is happening, that this partnership is happening there. So we are rather building platforms for that than facilitate that. Because if you do, do not have an interest uh, as CEO of company X, to talk to me, then you should not talk to me because there is no interest. So we don't, we, we cannot force it, but we can create like platforms where people and, and CEOs and, and, and uh, uh, potential partners can collaborate uh, with, with each other. And, mm -hmm. and this is what we want to drive and, uh, and, and empower, um, facilitate these, these events, which simplifies hopefully um, the, the life of uh, the entrepreneurs. Cool. You always have to deal with people, not only when you're managing sales, but also just when hiring or managing people in general. What was the toughest moment that you faced in regards of managing people? I mean, you know, there was, uh, um, we did a lot of hiring and we, we also had to uh, let go a lot of people. Um, and uh, one, one, one time, you know, like we grew it, incredibly fast in terms of employees, but we grew very inefficient. So over time you could uh, increase efficiency and you know, you, you're using less, less people. Um, and uh, I remember one time in, in Poland, we had uh, content production with his photo studios, one in Romania, one, one in Poland. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there were like about 100 people and we had to shut down or decided to shut down um, that the operations and due to, due to costs and inefficiencies. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, we prepared everything with HR managers and it was, uh, uh, you know, you have to talk to the government um, uh, to when you, you know, when, when there are more than I think in that case, 50 people or 60 people, you let more of 60 people uh, go than, okay. You have to involve them, so you have to kind of a social plan, and um, and then uh, I was I was communicating it to them, you know, and and, and you see all these people in front ahead of you, and uh, uh, which you hired, and maybe like two months before, you know, we acquired a company, and then basically we had to let them go, and mm -hmm. two months ago I said, hey, you know, we're going there, and this is what we achieve, and we do it all together, and we're team, whatever, and then you know, two or three months later, you realize, you know, you 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 cannot do that. Um, 
and this was tough, you know, you, you stay in front of them and, and, and talk about, hey, we shut down the organization and um, then you have lawyers next to you and you have HR people next to you and then they're in the one-to-one discussions and uh, you, you just want to be very human and it's not natural to just do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So on the other side, it's it's part, part, of, part of, you know, building a business because due to that, you could stabilize the other... 500, 600 jobs, you know? So mm. if you will not do that, um, so I think this is one example. And then we had like individual examples with uh, fraud cases, you know, like um, com- employees who uh, we figured out they were stealing or did some shady deals with suppliers, um, this this kind of stuff or stealing in the warehouse um, where you, be, you have to be very um, clear and um, direct. And I think when you let a, person go you can um it, it's never a pleasant feeling but over time as we all the time stick to the law and respected mm-hmm. the law which mm-hmm. is not usual was not usual in those markets okay. so we all the time you know said okay you get another salary according to law and so on so people knew when they got fired that there we had a very good conversation for that bad situation actually in a sense of they knew that we are treating them according um what, what we agreed and what is in the contract. So this was also giving us, as again, company values, quite a good image um, that we are just fair and, and treat people um, uh, fair. And uh, I think this, this, this was uh, an important element as well. These company val- values, they really seem to be the, the solid basis and the very important basis of basically everything you do. You mentioned fraud cases or other bad things that, that could happen in, in these moments. How do you actually test these values when you hire people? How do you try to, to figure out that the person that you have a job interview right now is actually not committing fraud three months from now? I know this is very tricky, but yeah. how did you do that? If you 100% figure it out, call me. <laughs> um, I mean, it's... it's, 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 uh, it's, it's it's difficult. So um, I think um, it, it's very much about trying to understand the human rather than the professional person um, um, next to you. Um, I would say the best would all the time be like, you know, you go to play tennis or you go, ideally you go on holidays, like three days, and then you really learn a, uh, learn a lot about a person. Um, there are little things you can figure it out. For example, um you know, where you meet people, how does the office look, um, you know, like how they're dressed, you know, you, you can understand some value topics like, like that, um, but also how they speak, what is important to them, you know, like you you, uh, you constantly try to figure out, is, is it the money who drives that founder mm-hmm. or is it the purpose, what he really wants to achieve to, to, to drive this company? And um, I obviously love the purpose, um, you know, like when somebody's really driven by that topic and it's not just like a copycat. Um, uh, so although I did this as well, but today I, I really believe that you have to have a true personal belief in what you're doing because an entrepreneur is not building something for two years. You know, everybody thinks like, oh, it's just, oh, this is a great opportunity. You have to be fast. I do it, I sell it, that's it. Yep. In reality, to build, to build a company, takes seven years, 10 years to really build a good, a good decent company. Um, 
this is a lifetime decision. So mm -hmm. basically, uh, let's say you live 80 years, you know, if you decide what you're doing with 10 years of your professional career life, it's super relevant, you know? So, and if you're not having fun doing that, or if you're not uh, connected to um, your industry or whatever, you should not do it. You definitely should not do it. If you just run after an opportunity, I don't believe, I will not invest in that. Can be super successful, don't get me wrong. Sure. But I don't, don't believe in that. I really want to have entrepreneurs where I can sit on a, have a dinner table and have really deep, meaningful conversations um, with um, very, very value-driven. Um, th this is what really resonates. These points that you spoke about mm -hmm. are all pretty personal impressions. So testing people when you hire them on, on these values, is this something that will sort of be summed up in your gut feeling about the person? Or are there really like rational points or a rational checklist that you do or did run um, before deciding who you hire or which company you invest in? I mean, there is all the time a rational part, which I think you have to do and do certain due diligence, obviously, um, to uh, ensure that, you know, things are properly done. What did you do in that regard? Due diligence? Yeah. Like when hiring people? Did oh, when, you... when hiring people. Um, you know, I think it's very basic stuff. It's good to call former employees. Um, yeah. It's good to check their social um, network appearance. You know, simple things, what friends they have, what, you know, um, if they uh, post, uh, what kind of pictures they post, um, you know, it gives you a very clear first impression of, of, of a person. Um, and then I would just talk about, you know, like, what is your dream and what is really bothering you? You know, like, why you're doing what you're doing and uh, trying to understand, like, you know, they have kids, they have family, uh, where do you live, what is important, you know, what is your philosophy in life, you know, try to ask these kind of questions, mm -hmm. um, which happens naturally in the companies we're investing in because a lot of these products you're investing in, um, they're related to healthy living or, you know, conscious living, um, which simplifies a lot of things because you um, not necessarily only have entrepreneurs who are just purely money-driven, because there are many cases in the companies investing in purpose-driven. So you have like a natural selection out of just by selecting a certain industry. Um, and then it's like also my partners who then talk to this, this, this person and say, hey, listen, my impression was like this and I felt he may this. And, you know, the more people who see a person, um, uh, the, the, the better, the better, it, uh, you know, the better view I think you, you can have. And then what we want to do is as well, like uh, sending entrepreneurs we invested in, in into, uh, you know, some leadership trainings. Um, so this is something we also um, try to try to set up mm -hmm. um, to, to really develop, um, yeah, um, skills which you may, when you run a business, not necessarily have time for or like... Um, so obviously, if they want, um, but um, sure. this is what how, how we how we can contribute. Mm -hmm. Did you also have a, a specific rule internally for your management team when you were hiring someone, or now when you invest in companies, that you say all of the management team have to be okay or have to agree to hire that person when they spoke to that person? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, in our uh, investment committee now. If one says no, then there is a no. Yeah. So if we are not all excited 
and positive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a no. Um, because it's, you know, we are checking so many companies and uh, now and uh, it's, you really have to be bullish at that moment about this company and um, team-wise and product-wise and market-wise that this is a cool thing. If you have doubts at that time, even if you interview, it's very similar if you interview a person. If you have one doubt, don't hire this person. Even though it's like, oh, now I have to find another one, whatever. But it will be much more painful having this person on board realizing after two months or three months, he's not going to perform. You will lose much more time. So be very selective in who you really bring into your company mm-hmm. um, or who you're investing in, um, which is super relevant. Is there a certain thing that he did to to train this sort of gut feeling to to also you know understand it better or have a better judgment with your gut feeling? Probably doing more and more interviews yeah. help, but was there anything else that you did to to strengthen that? I think it's it's um, a lot of interview helps. So um, I for sure interviewed a few few hundred people, and uh, same on company side. The more entrepreneurs you see, the better your understanding you get. Sure. Um, and then I think it's it's uh, while you personally develop, um, you start to, you know, certain things become more important to you. So, for example, in my case, it's like um, it's important how you eat, you know, because how you eat uh, is for me an indicator uh, in a sense of like um, how conscious you are about weight about you know if you just eat sugar and drink coke the whole day sure. um this is this is an indicator you know so there we probably w- are going to have a mismatch when it comes to values you know now you can say okay if it's a developer maybe it's a different story but this these are personal beliefs i have and i i want to share those obviously with with my uh, employees or close people mm-hmm. Because I will spend time with them and, you know, we drive a certain vision to make people healthier and happier. And obviously sugar, um, too much sugar is, 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 uh, is, is not, is not le- leading us there. If you do that and you consume a lot of sugar and tell in, you know, to the consumer something else, then, then there is a value mismatch. Absolutely. And I think uh, these, these little things, um, you try to understand, you try to figure out. Mm-hmm. When dealing with people, um, we talk now about the not so good parts mm-hmm. uh, a couple minutes ago. There are also a lot of beautiful stories mm-hmm. uh, that you can share and that you live through together. One of these stories is you met your wife during a job interview. Yes. Can you tell us how that happened? Well, um, and this, this, this is a funny story. So um, we were, uh, we had one of these days where we um, interviewed 12 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was in, in uh, Bucharest in, in a hotel. So we had one candidate after another came in, uh, came in. Um, and then, uh, you know, my today's wife, Krina, she, she uh, came to the interview and she replaced actually a candidate. So um, she, uh, a colleague of her is supposed to come and uh, she, she couldn't manage and she replaced her. Um, and, you know, we, we were talking about our business and um, she told me, I think the, one of the first sentences, she said, this business is never going to work. She was in fashion retail at that time and she didn't like that everything is going to shift. I told her like everything is going to shift online. And, yeah. you know, I was like, um, and she, she had this romantic thinking of 
retail, which got uh, got quite disrupted. And you know, um, somehow I couldn't follow her exactly what she said because we were more like uh, attached to each other. Um, and then uh, you know, I continue with my other interviews, and um, she she. Uh, we didn't have any contact. She didn't apply, or you know, wanted to have the job. I'm still not sure if we offered uh, or uh, or her job or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, so and then one year later, we we just uh, met uh, through social network again, and uh, we started talking. And then uh, now we are together for eight years, I think. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's amazing. And you know, again, like when you start a business. You don't think of that, you know. It's like uh, I, I, I gave you another example. I think um, earlier, when when we, we lost a person, you know, um, in 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 an organization, and you suddenly, you know, you have, you know, um, people who get married in the company. We had a dating platform. We had two people sitting in the same office. Um, they they, they um, got matched on our dating platform where we didn't know if it's a good algorithm. So they were together. So this right. was an in- incredible story. Um, so there are a lo- lot of things happen and, and you realize that um, it's life. It's not just running or building a company. It's, it's really about life. And, and, and this is super beautiful. You know, I was on weddings where two employees met and awesome. this is, uh, you know, for them, it's like, hey, Marcus, you changed my life because of your company. I met my wife. They have kids now and... Um, which is, uh, you know, very emotional and uh, amazing, very beautiful. You didn't end up working together um, because you, yeah. your wife didn't uh, yeah. got a job offer, didn't accept it. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. Um, do, don't do you ask think, her. <laughs> uh, okay, I won't. Do you think in general it's it's a smart thing to, to hire people who are close to you, like friends or, or family members? Or is this something that you think should better be avoided? It's It's a... It's tricky. It uh, can go very well, can go very wrong, you know. Um, and for sure, you risk uh, friendship um, if if you cannot deal with with that. So, um, on the same time, it's natural, you know, that when you know people and trust people and say, hey, "Guys, let's sit in the boat together. Let's let's go there." Um, mm-hmm. That you do it in your environment, you know. Um, and I think when both can have the respect to the business and to rationalize things and not mixing emotions or mm-hmm. splitting emotions with rational facts, which is hard, um, or ego-driven, and uh, now I should be the founder or I should be the CEO of this company, then obviously your friendship is is, is, uh, is, is gone um, or probably gone. So I think it's um, there is no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. For sure the case is also with Jan, you know, it was a perfect... Uh, Perfect example, um, but there are other cases probably that doesn't uh, turn out. My last question for today is your role has evolved from being founder, co-founder to a more passive role as investor and Mm -hmm. advisor, board member. In in what way has this also changed the way that you now manage people? You are much less involved in in operations, in in the daily business. Mm In, in what way has this changed the way that you manage or interact with people? It's very difficult um, because if you're used to run a business and take decisions um, and then you start to invest in a company and some companies we have been involved uh, in, we were also supporting them operationally. 
So you basically have like different heads. So you're on one head, you're an investor, mm -hmm. which has one perspective. And then you are in operations. So you bond with the team, but you're also an investor. So you have these different heads, which it's really hard to distinguish between those. And then it's like really hard to figure out how much should you let go and how much should you say now, you know, as an entrepreneur, you say like, oh, now there is a problem which you all the time have in a, or challenges in, in, in a company. Now I dive right in, I solve that problem, yeah. you know. When, when, once you're doing that, you cannot focus on anything else anymore because you're in fully operations. Sure. So you may don't take the responsibility of the investor anymore, you know, or board member, whatever, more on a strategic level because you dive in. Mm -hmm. And th this is a very, very tricky part. So we had to learn we cannot be in operations anymore, um, which we all the time also thought this is our skill and this is our strengths. Mm -hmm. But on the same time, if you're in operations, you're not the CEO, you know, so you cannot just take decisions. So you basically have to integrate in a team. So we decided the best way for us is investing. In these companies, we are sometimes sitting in the board, um, supporting them in whatever way. Um, if there is uh, an issue with that company, we are willing to jump in for like three months or for a dedicated time and solve something until somebody new comes into the company. Mm -hmm. But being in an operational role is definitely not something we can do. And this was a difficult transition. You know, it's like, I don't know, uh, when Roger Federer once, um, is, is, is coach, you know, it totally changes the game, you know, it's like you have to say what others have to do, um, but you cannot say too much because, you know, you have to, the entrepreneur or the CEO has, has to run their business in their way, which is hopefully better or probably better than what you have in mind. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's like I all the time compare it with my daughter, you know, when she, she started to learn to walk, you know, you cannot just hold her hand all the time because she has to fall to learn how she can walk and how to balance. When I would have hold her hand all the time, she, it would take much longer to walk, but you have to let her fall. And I think it's very similar to, to, to a company. So you, right now we are fine and good just being, supporting them and helping them and investing in them. Mm -hmm. um, and if there really is a fire in the company, we are willing to, if we can, um, or one of us uh, take a role for like a very short given uh, period of time, but not not fully in operations. But it's 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 a challenge to transition. I think we can be very curious to see how these challenges turn out and what your investments uh, will sort of produce and uh, show as results in the in the near or long term future. Marcus, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you so you much for sharing all these great stories and giving us these valuable insights. And sure. again, all the best for your future projects. And I'm looking forward to talking or being in touch with you very soon again. Yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. And it uh, was a pleasure having, having this chat with you, Silan. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, we would be thrilled to receive your rating on Apple Podcasts. Next week, we'll already be back with a new Q&A session, meaning we answer your questions. 
If you haven't signed up already, you can become a member of Swisspreneur to hand in your questions and we will answer them with our experts out of our network. So make sure to tune in to an all new episode next week where we answer the questions of our community and I'm sure that you can take away some exciting learnings for your business and for your career. See you next week.